Who makes the most rules in your household? You know, since today is Father's Day, we'll say it's the fathers, even though most of them probably come from mothers. You know, rules pertaining to uh, personal hygiene, clean homes, and manners around the table usually come from moms, but dads do make rules too, and sometimes they make a lot of rules. In fact, some dads make too many rules. In an attempt to be the voice of authority in their home, they make rules for everything. Rules are needed, but too many rules confuse and condemn, and a few well-defined and understood rules are generally better than a host of confusing and unenforceable ones. Even worse, if all behaviors are placed under the realm of rules, little room is left for freely expressing love. And then doing something just because you want to please someone you care about. When God gave his people a list of rules, commandments, they were ten in number. That should have been enough. But he knew their hearts and added some ordinances that showed how the commandments should be applied. Even then, God's people weren't good at applying the ten to the various situations of life, so more were added. And by Jesus' day, the rabbis had identified 613 individual statutes in the law, including 248 positive commands and 365 prohibitions. That's one thou shalt not for every day of the year. Now, they didn't see them all as equal in importance, dividing them into heavy or great and the light or little. And of course, they didn't all agree upon which should be placed in which category. It was into that controversy that Jesus was drawn by a scribe who, with surprisingly good motives, asked Jesus which commandment is the foremost of all. His answer and subsequent teaching gives what I want to identify as three rules for family living. Family living within the context of the church, within the community at large, and of course, within the home itself, which is, in many respects, the most important context because it is foundational to all the others. If fathers would teach and encourage their children to follow these three rules, there would be little need for exhaustive and exhausting rulemaking anywhere. The first rule is the commandment Jesus identified as the foremost of all. Love God. And one of the scribes came and 
heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets can be distilled into one simple rule for life. Love God. And there's only one Lord we're to love the author and giver of life, the one who created us and loved us before we could love him. In fact, as John makes perfectly clear, we love because he first loved us. It's not hard to love God if we know him. And it's especially easy to love him if we have been introduced to him at a young age, and are taught what love means by fathers who love God and who love us in the same way as does our heavenly Father. And obviously, because God identified himself as our heavenly Father, earthly fathers do indeed play a crucial role in teaching their children to love God. Now, that's not to say that children who don't have living or loving godly fathers can't come to know the love of God and come to love him. But it is much easier if that love for God permeates the home and is exemplified by an earthly father. And that love should be overwhelming and all-encompassing. You know, it's not enough to teach kids to go to church and pay their respects to God. They must be taught to love him with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all their strength. The love they have for God must be felt in their heart, an emotional response to a heavenly father who loves them. It must permeate their soul, their very being, and go deep enough to sustain them even through hard times when they really don't feel loved or loving. And it must be strong enough to endure all the challenges from those who would steal their affections and lead them to love someone or something else more than God. And it is love for God not fear of him, that is foundational to any good relationship with our Heavenly Father. You know, fear of judgment may have initially brought us to him, like fear of our Father's discipline first made us behave, but perfect love casts out fear. If our relationship with our Father never moves beyond fear to love, 
It'll be hard for our relationship with our Heavenly Father to do so either. That's why fathers must express their love openly and freely if they want their children to love God openly and freely. Jesus then points out that our love for God must go beyond a simple vertical relationship to a horizontal one as well. The second part of the foremost command is that we love our neighbor as ourself. In fact, as John also noted, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. If we cannot love others, all others, no matter the color of their skin, who like us are made in the image of God and are loved by him, we are lying to ourselves if we say we love God. Furthermore, true love for God is not expressed through empty words of praise and worship. Love for God can only be expressed honestly through lives that demonstrate love for him and others. Even the scribe who questioned Jesus recognized that fact. And the scribe said to him, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Loving God and loving your neighbor means much more to God than burnt offerings and sacrifices. If your worship is nothing more than empty gestures of love, God knows it. And so do your children. So your love must be genuine. The first rule for family living is to love God and others. But it can't stop there. In spite of what the song says, love isn't all you need. The scribe recognized the primacy of love and may have been practicing it. But it wasn't enough to ensure a saving relationship with God. He was not far from the kingdom of God, but he wasn't in it. It's not enough to just teach our children to love God. The majority of people living in what some would even call a post-Christian nation would claim to have a love for God and would insist that they're trying to live by the golden rule. But that's not enough to put him in the kingdom, into the family of God. Something else is needed. And we're going to call it rule number two for family living. Make Jesus 
Lord. And Jesus, answering, began to say, as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is a son of David? David himself said in the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. David himself calls him Lord. And so in what sense is he his son? And the great crowd enjoyed listening to him. At first, the connection between these verses and what precedes them escapes us. But Mark refers to them as Jesus' answer to something, even though it's in the form of a question. What was Jesus answering when he asked, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? I think he's answering the question that must have come to the mind of the scribe when Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. The obvious question is, what is lacking? The answer was in his understanding of who the Christ is. The scribes recognized the fact that the Christ, the Messiah, would be the son of David. But how do they explain the psalm that David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. Now, the first Lord in Psalm 110 is the word Yahweh, the name for God. The second is Adonai, and is a reference to the Messiah, the one David was calling Lord. David is relating God, telling the Messiah, the one David called Lord, to sit at his right hand. The question Jesus was asking is simple. If the Messiah is nothing more than the son of David, why did David call him Lord? The answer is that the Christ is more than the son of David. He is the son of God. The Christ was David's Lord even before David had a son. Without saying so, Jesus was identifying himself as David's Lord and the Lord of any who would be in the kingdom of God, who would be in the family of God. I think that's the second rule for family living. Make Jesus Lord. You can't be in the family of God without it. And our relationship to Christ is the key to successful relationships in the home. Wives are to be subject to their husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Children are to obey their parents in the Lord. It's our surrender to the Lordship of Christ that enables us to be what he desires us to be to each other. And without a Lord who is above everyone in the family, there was always a struggle to determine 
who gets to lord it over whom? The man who loves his wife best and disciplines his children most effectively is a father who acknowledges the lordship of Christ. The woman who supports her husband best and most successfully meets the needs of her children is a mother who has surrendered to the lordship of Christ. The child who pleases mom and dad best is the child who seeks first to please Christ and asks himself, what would Jesus have me do? Making Jesus Lord is the second rule for family living in the home, in the church, and in society at large. The third rule is avoid sibling rivalry. And in his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets, who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitude were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Abraham had to choose between Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob. Jacob gave Joseph a coat of many colors. A father who shows partiality to one child over another is planting seeds of disharmony in his family and shouldn't be surprised when sibling rivalry blossoms. That's not to say differences between children can't be recognized. We are all unique and uniquely gifted. That's true in our homes, in society, and in the church. In Ephesians 4.11, the Apostle Paul said, God gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. But he also said in 1 Corinthians 12, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. He then went on to point out that those parts that seem to be less honorable are just as important as those we think to be more honorable. 
One is not more important than the other. All are needed to make up the body. It's when we forget that that we start acting like scribes, walking around in long robes and wearing ecclesiastical garb, expecting people to reverence us with titles like rabbi, father, master, or reverend, and looking for differential treatment wherever we go. Even worse, elevating ourselves over others very easily leads us to take advantage of them as the scribes were doing to the widows. If we start thinking we are part of a privileged class, it's easy to justify oppressing those we deem to be under us. Of course, the converse is also true. Those who view themselves as an oppressed class can begin thinking they have the right to take whatever they feel the oppressors have denied them. We are all children of the same God and loved by Him. But He does gift us differently and even chooses to bless some more than others. We cannot deny that. His gifts to us, however, are to be used to express our love for God and others, not to oppress anyone. And we can't cover up greedy and sinful hearts with long prayers or big contributions. Jesus said those who want to appear to be something they are not will receive the greater condemnation. We must not allow anyone to think they are more important to their heavenly father or their earthly father than anyone else. To do so sets up a contest of externals and a desire to prove to others that we are of more worth than are they. The rich proudly put large sums of money in the temple. But the poor widow received praise from the Lord. The rich gave out of their surplus, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in all she owned, all she had to live on. In spite of her lack of resources, She didn't think her gift was meaningless, nor that she was of less value than others. She entrusted herself to the God who loved her and who she loved far more than the two copper coins that were in her hand. If we are to enjoy life in the family of God, the family of man, and in our homes. We must make certain all know they are loved by God and of equal value before him. And we must do all we can to avoid rivalry between the children
The formula for success in family living is simple and requires only three rules. Love God, make Jesus Lord, and avoid sibling rivalry. If we'll do that, we'll not be not far from the kingdom of God. We will be in it. And if we teach it and practice it in the home, there will be less conflict in our homes, in the kingdom, and even in the world. Let's pray. Father, it's obvious we need fathers to rise up and teach their children demonstrate to their children how to love God. How to make Jesus Lord. And that all the children of God are equal in value before him. If we'll teach that in our homes and make sure our children understand that, they can carry that to others and then to others. And the changes that we make in our home can affect the world. Father, we live in hard times. We've seen a breakdown in the family. We've seen fathers abdicate their responsibilities, even those who don't physically leave. Help us to rise up and meet the challenge before us. Help us understand the key to successful living is simple, to love you, to make Jesus Lord, and to treat everyone as equal in your sight and as your beloved children. Forgive us for our sin. Empower us to be what you've called us and taught us and enabled us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.